Welcome in to episode 87 of the Sports Gospel Show. Darren and Andrew, your host this week. Welcome into 2023. It's always wild when we turn the calendar to another year. In this week's show, we're going to talk mostly about the college football season as we are fast putting an end to a look at the bowl season and prep for the college football playoff championship. Talk about college basketball. It's been a few weeks since we talked about the college basketball slate, but as we get into 2023, March will be here before we know it. And then we're going to end with the NBA as we, our, our new favorite segment, Andrew's NBA Power Five ranking, and just talking about the season as a whole. We're, we're going to table the NFL this week. We just uh, want to send our, our thoughts and positive energy and condolences to the DeMar Hamlin family. We're, kind of like everybody else in the world, collectively hoping that he pulls through this and uh, a, a, a really tough, sad thing to see. And we don't want to get too far into it, but just wish, wishing the best to DeMar Hamlin and his family. We try to have fun on the show and keep it pretty light. And uh, we'll, we'll try to do that as much as we, as we can this week, but always want to remember the Hamlin family in this time. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit here first about the college game and uh, the New Year's Six Bulls. Not, not my greatest job on the picks. We'll, we'll save the playoff games here, but looking at the other, the big four, Penn State, I would say stunning TCU or not TCU, Utah, Cam Rising going down in that one, Tulane coming back to stun USC. I don't know what's, what was the problem with the Pac 12 in these games. I think the, the Tulane USC may have been the best game. Alabama, all their studs played. A lot of people were concerned that they would be sitting out, but the Crimson Tide rolled over K State. And then Tennessee beat Clemson in the orangest orange bowl. I think I picked, I think Alabama was the only one of those four I picked. So starting there with the, the new year six games, what stood out to you amongst those four? Uh, just the quality of, of the games really. I mean, and quality of a lot of other games outside of the new year six as well. Um, talked about Oregon, North Carolina, I believe. Uh, when we were doing our predictions, and that was a good game, and Kansas and Arkansas was one of the wildest bananas bowl games. One. Yeah, fifty-three, fifty-one. I mean, it, it not a lot of high stakes in that one, but a really high quality, intense game, and overall a great bowl season and a bad bowl season for people who say that there's too many bowl games. So that's kind of my initial thought is. We're going to kind of do away with all these bowl games and explain the playoffs just as these bowl games are kind of getting good. So very interesting spot for college football to be in as we transition to that 12-team playoff. But I really enjoyed uh, – you mentioned Tulane USC. Uh, what an incredible comeback by Tulane there late in the game. And then also uh, Utah – they kind of lost their life after Cam Rising went down. Penn State played a great game, and uh, hats off to them, but they kind of lost their life after um, Cam Rising went down. He was kind of the heart and soul of that team. Um, but, yeah, Tulane UFC was really an enjoyable matchup, and being an Iowa fan um, that I am, I actually think I said this on the show a couple weeks ago, and I'll, I'll drop it here again, but – there's definitely been rumors of the Tulane offensive coordinator who has Iowa connections coming into Iowa as the offensive coordinator next season. If that does materialize, I'm going to be pretty happy as an Iowa fan seeing the offense that Tulane has put out this season. So I'm not saying that will happen. I'm saying it's one possibility that I've heard that's on the table. So 
I had a, a special vested interest in that two lane USC game, watching that, knowing those facts. I believe the Iowa Kentucky game was your was your over under thirty one, and you still hit the under. Yep, yep. The Kentucky offense was pitiful. Not the not that the Iowa offense was much better. <laughs> um, they showed no a Will little Levis. bit more. They they showed a little bit more life. Yeah, no Will Levis, but. Um, I think we finally ran into a team that has an offensive line worse than ours. Uh, hey, at least we got to see some incredible defensive play on display, as I thought we might. Um, two pick sixes by Iowa, Xavier Nwampa and Cooper DeGene, which those guys in the same secondary next year is going to be quite thrilling to watch because uh, I believe – they're going to be roaming around and making a lot of those plays next year. It was just a little bit of a preview of what's to come next year. And uh, I always got a lot of talent in the defensive backfield that's going to be back next year. And in some ways, I think has a chance to be better defensively next year than what they were this year, which is absolutely insane to say. But um, really, really, that's what the Music City Bowl was for me, was just a – I look forward to next year. Um, they did show some different things offensively that I was not really impressed by, but maybe a little bit, teeny bit encouraged by just the willingness to change and adapt a little teeny tiny bit was an encouraging sign to me. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see. But yeah, the under hit definitely because uh, I think Iowa just took the life out of Kentucky in that first half, honestly. Uh, seemed like the game was kind of over by halftime. Someday we'll get you a spinoff show where you just talk about Hawkeye sports for an hour. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if anybody would listen to my <laughs> rantings and ravings and ramblings. Uh, <laughs> I try not to to bogart the show and make it about that, but had to had to get my little blurbs in there. I, I'm sorry, I just had to get a few blurbs in. So I won't talk about the Iowa State bowl game. Uh, I appreciate that, um, considering there wasn't one. Pretty <laughs> and hard. I, 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 sorry. No, I, I agree and disagree with you on, on both points because I'm one of those people, I think there's so many bloated bowl games, I'm so sick of it. Yes, it's it's TV fodder for ESPN to roll out when there's not much else going on. I just, I don't care. It's, it's like the Cheez-It Bowl. Florida State and Oklahoma should not be playing in the Cheez-It Bowl. It just feels like if they had some more prestige to them, if there wasn't the Duke's Mayo Bowl and the Jimmy Kimmel Bowl, I think they're they're just leaning into the fact that these are all such jokes. So I think it's kind of jumped the shark. But then you have these fantastic games, the the Oregon-North Carolina game. I remember watching that game and joking, oh, man, what if he misses the extra point? We go to overtime. And then he pings it off the upright and by all right should have missed it. So you have the that's a great game. The Florida State-Oklahoma game I mentioned was great. Depending on how big of a UCLA fan you are, some people may say they blew that lead, but Pitt coming back to win by two. Ohio, Wyoming, Mississippi State getting the win in honor of Mike Leach taking down Illinois. There are some fantastic matchups. I just feel like people are kind of over bowl games with, like, oh, there's several on every day. And the, I, I feel like Wisconsin, Oklahoma State was the epitome of nobody cares, nobody wants to be there. We're just kind of letting anybody in. Yeah, just in all your points – um, we cannot be slandering the Duke's Mail Bowl on this podcast. <laughs> Sorry. Um, really trying to make my way to be one of the dunkers next year, so uh, we'll not be accepting any Duke's Mail slander on this podcast. 
uh, all, all, what's, what's, what's that disclaimer? Opinions expressed by one host are not co-signed oh, by the opinions all of all hosts. Yeah. Well, yeah. we're going to have to roll with that then because I want to dump Mayo on a college football coach <laughs> next year. So that's, that's one of my lifelong dreams. As soon as I saw that you could enter a contest to win that, I'm going to try to enter and win that because why not? Does does the Big Ten have a tie-in in in that? I thought it was like ACC, SEC. They run out of teams. The Big Big Ten does have a tie-in. Actually, a lot of people thought that uh, that's where Iowa was going to end up, and then they ended up in the Music City Bowl instead. And uh, I was really hoping for Iowa to end up there because I just had these dreams of of Kirk Ferentz getting bathed in mayo and how that would just live (laughs) on for forever. So uh, I just really want to be in the process. I mean, I think he'd be a good sport about it. I don't really know, but um, yeah, I just, I was looking forward to that. I don't know if you saw it, but uh, Mike Loxley had a a really oversized hat on as they were dumping mayo on him. So it helped block some of the mayo. It was, it was great. It was a, it was a (laughs) meme that will live on forever. That's why the Duke's mayo bowl is a great thing. So um, did you watch the Citrus Bowl? I did not, but I saw the score, and my goodness, Purdue, what happened? Yeah, um, Purdue lost their coach, and all of their best players opted out or hit the transfer portal, um, and Ooh. that is 100% what happened. So that Purdue team that you saw in the Citrus Bowl was not anywhere close to the Purdue team. I mean, you talk about not wanting to be there. I think that was the epitome of a team not wanting to be there was uh, what Purdue had to roll out there. So um, that's yeah. what everybody pans the SEC for. Everybody says, well, if the SEC is not in a New Year's Six game, they don't want to be there. LSU looked like they wanted to be there. Yeah, 100%. And I, I, I'm not trying to make excuses, but hey, when Purdue has mostly their second string out there on both ends, I think I can understand why the score ended up with the way that it did. Not a lot to play for in the the beloved Citrus Bowl. So. <laughs> I was just reading how the SEC did. SEC, I think, was three and five. Yep, three and, and five, uh, the four. They're five and five. Every SEC team make a bowl. Jeepers, they're six six and five if you include Georgia. Does that seem right? Everybody but Vanderbilt make a bowl game. Like Missouri made a bowl game. Um, I believe. Ooh, I think I, they were five think, and five, and then they got Georgia. That was me very quickly yeah, scrolling through bowl games. Yeah, one hundred percent. I know that not every SEC. Made it. I'm I'm trying to think who missed off the top of my head because they were getting crushed early, and then Alabama, Tennessee, LSU, and Mississippi State made it look a little more respectable. Yeah, one one hundred percent. Hey, the Big Ten West went three and two. We had the Purdue debacle, but other than that, we looked good. Hey, the, so the, everybody panned the Big Ten West this season as being one of the worst uh, Power Five divisions out there, and. Uh, Winning record. Just want to just want to throw that out there. The Big Ten did something. They're two and three so far in what I've scrolled through. Two and three, two and uh, four, two and five. Hey, good job, Big Twelve. 
Yeah, if the Big 12 didn't have TCU, this was a really <laughs> bad, really bad year for TC for Big 12. But let's talk about games. those Horned Frogs. And I didn't realize this going in. They're the first team from Texas to make the playoff since 2014 when this was started. I never really thought about it, but when you pointed out, like, oh, yeah, Baylor's been close. Texas has kind of been down. Texas Tech's not going to make it. A&M hasn't really been fantastic. So it's interesting to think that TCU is the first Texas team. TCU had that one year they had a legitimate argument for the four seed and got left out because of no conference championship. Um, I believe that was maybe 2014. Was the, I think that was the first year of it. I think we looked this up a few weeks ago. That was the very first year they, them and Baylor like tied and something happened. Yeah. No conference championship was the, uh, deciding factor between TCU and Ohio State. Everybody was mad that Ohio State was in with their third string quarterback. Cardale Jones, and then they ran through the playoffs. Mainly Ezekiel Elliott ran through the playoffs and carried Ohio State to a championship. And I believe I'm correct in saying this. TCU is the first Big 12, uh, yeah, Big 12 team to make it into the championship game. First Big 12 team to win a playoff game. Yeah. Yes. Yep. To be in the championship. Yep. yep. Exactly. Because Oklahoma was the other team that's only other team that's made it, I believe. Right. Yep. And they were 0 4. Oh and four. Yep. So good, good job by TCU. Um, heck of, so I, heck of games. Great I, I games. watched, I watched this game up through like the first, uh, like middle of the third quarter. I stopped watching this, trying to find somewhere to get to the end. Unfortunately, it was on the road when it was happening, but the scoring went bananas. And the second half, it was a close, low scoring game. I think Michigan had like nine points at halftime. And then the two teams just erupted, and I'm I'm so happy. I'm whoever won between TCU and Michigan is going to be my pick. I'm a big fan of Michigan, and then as we've talked about several times, big fan of Max Duggan, the Iowa kid, and what he's been able to do with this team. I don't know how Sonny Dykes has gotten this out of this roster that seems to be mostly what Gary Patterson had there before, which was decent, but definitely not this good. But all props to TCU. What a performance by them! And let's go Horn Frogs. Yeah. I mean, great performance by TCU, 100%. Um, I was a little bit amazed by in both games, honestly, and we'll get to the other one in a second, I know, but uh, just kind of the, the poor tackling that was on display wasn't something that I really expected from Michigan. I don't know if that had anything to do with a, a month off, maybe not hitting during bowl practice to just kind of, try and save your guys here. Um, but, yeah, I was just kind of surprised at the amount of missed tackles that Michigan had going on, uh, and T- TCU to an extent as well, although they had been in some high-scoring affairs, so I knew that that was definitely a possibility um, 100%. But, uh, yeah, so I I really enjoyed – that second half of the game, other than the, the financial loss that I, that I took from, uh, <laughs> betting on Michigan at halftime. But, uh, you know, other than that, I enjoyed myself. And then I took a financial loss again, live betting in Ohio State when they were up by 13 points. Um, yeah, we can, we can talk about that. So it wasn't maybe the best gambling weekend for me per se, but, uh, you know, but as a fan. Um, as a as a pure your, fan, your fan wallet. 
from a pure entertainment standpoint, probably the most entertaining playoffs that I can remember since we started in 2014. Yeah, I was just, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was, I was going to need you to look up and tell me, you know, if we've had anything more exciting. I mean, we've had some exciting championship games, I believe. I, I mean, the Tua touchdown pass coming in in relief of Jalen Hurts sticks out in my mind. Uh, Deshaun Watson memories stick out in my mind as well. Um, LSU, Joe Burrow, the show that he put on sticks out in my mind, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of a more entertaining Final Four game. Yeah, looking from, from score-wise, I do think this is, well, from entertainment-wise, I think it's the best. But from a score-wise, you can show that it's the only year where we've had two really competitive games. There's been some years, I just had it in front of me, I believe it was Georgia-Ohio State in maybe 2016 or 2017, so I think that was a Baker year for Oklahoma. And they played Georgia, and it was like a double overtime, 52-48 to 48 kind of game. So there's been a lot of years we'll have one good close game and then typically one blowout. I think this is the first year you can say in the history of the playoff where we've had two fantastic nail-biter games. So I, I pretty easy claim to make. I think this is the best first round we've had in the, in the playoff era. All right. All right. Good to know you're on board. But, yeah, absolutely the best. So hopefully the championship is on that level and we don't experience a blowout in either direction. That's that's really what I want is a nice close, maybe even a high scoring game like we experienced in the in the semifinals. So that's what I'm looking forward to in the championship. I think TCU definitely has the offense to get that done. Yeah, that's I feel like Georgia's kind of drifted into that Kansas City Chief territory where Kansas City doesn't look like they're trying for three fourths of the game, but they just hang around and then they get hot at the end. Georgia was down 14 points at the start of the fourth quarter. It was 38-24, and then field goal, touchdown, touchdown, and then suddenly they're up 42-41, and that that Ohio State kicker missed that last field goal, but he would have had to have the leg of God to be able to make that. Georgia just, it feels like they can, as long as they hang around, because like C.J. Stroud had 348 yards, four touchdowns, and no picks. He played out of his mind. Receivers played great. It's just Georgia has so many weapons they can throw at you. This this was my pick last week. My heart wanted TCU, but my head told me to go with Michigan, and I'm going to ride that again for the championship game, which will be Monday night. My my heart wants TCU, but my head tells me to go with Georgia. I haven't even you may know this better than I do. I've not looked at the line. I I, I do not live in a state where I can bet on college sports. So I don't pay as close attention to it. Yeah, well, the line right now is up to thirteen and a half Georgia. Ooh. I think that's I think that's a lot. I, yeah, that feels juicy. I, I yeah, but again, it's kind of designed and set up that way to make you think that it it feels juicy, and then you know, watch Georgia cover by fourteen easily, um, which I, I'm not hoping is what happens. But I'm just telling you what the way Vegas looks at it for sure is they're they're trying to get that action there, and I think a thirteen and a half line will definitely get action on TCU. Um, for people, but, uh, I, I see that game as being much closer than that. Uh, I definitely see it with being within that range. So I don't know if I'm going to lay any money down yet, but, um, yeah, what a, what a collapse by Ohio State being up 14. And then that kick, yeah, you can't really pin it 
on that kick because the game was kind of lost before that. If you're Ohio State, I mean, some decisions about kicking field goals um, to go up 41-34, I believe. That was that was an interesting decision to me, kicking that field goal there. If I'm Ryan Day, I think I think about going for it in my opponent's territory on fourth down um, rather than kicking that field goal. So I think there's a lot of other things and, and plays that you can point to in that game that where it was lost for Ohio State other than that kick. So you have to you have to 100 percent um, think about that and can't pin it all on that field goal kicker. So no sympathies uh, for Ohio State. I would have been upset as well if Ohio State had won by two because I live bet them at two and a half. So (laughs) either either way, I was losing. So I, you know, I didn't I didn't care if Ohio State won the game at that point because I wanted them to win by three points, not two points. So um, don't gamble, kids. Just just don't gamble. I think that's the moral of this episode. Well, I I'm not good enough at math to do this while you're talking, but the the championship game's kind of been all across the board. The first one, it was a 22-point spread at the end, but then you had 5 points, 4 points, 3 points, and then it jumps back up to 28, then 17, then 21, then 15. So it kind of been all across the board. I'm, I'm trying to find a trend here, and it's not it's not working for me. No, no, I don't really think there's too much of a trend that you can draw from all the years that we've had this going on. Um, you really just got to look at the individual matchups and it really comes down to TCU's offense versus Georgia's defense. And I think that's where the game is won and lost because we all know how good the Georgia defense is. We know that they have plenty of first round draft picks and, and other guys who will get drafted in later rounds even. So Georgia has plenty of NFL talent up and down their defense, but Max Duggan and Quinton Johnston and, and the rest of the offense that Sonny Dykes and Lincoln Riley's younger brother, I forget his name right off the top, but um, called plays for TCU has been sensational. So Garrett Riley actually there just came to me, but um, yeah, really interesting connection there with Garrett Riley calling plays for TCU and, you know, leading them to the big 12 championship where they just came up to short and, obviously now in the national championship. So I think TCU has the the horses on offense and they're going to have to put up points and kind of make it a, a game like Ohio state did. I think that's kind of what Ohio state did, right. Was they, they kind of blitzed Georgia and it seemed like Georgia wasn't really, really playing their best football until they turned it on sometime in the third quarter and then fourth quarter and said, let's, let's get our butts in gear and go win this game. So you know, um, and yeah. and TCU's not the world's greatest defense. Uh, they, especially in the passing, I think they're going to give up yards. They're going to give up points. Rushing defense a little bit better, but it's it's going to be Sonny Dykes and whatever, you know, go into the kitchen, whatever mystic wizardry he has to pull out. Some new A11 offense for this team. I think huh. it will be, it will be questioned. A uh, big question to see what. Um, what Max Duggan can do against this defense, Jalen Carter, by all accounts, is supposed to be basically the next J.J. Water and Dominican Sue type player. Nolan Smith, another stud linebacker, is going to be drafted probably in the first round. Keely Ringo, I think, is also going to be a first round guy if he goes, which I suspect he will. So you're going to have three 
first round draft picks on the defensive side of the ball to deal with. And they're Georgia. They're just going to reload. They've joined that Alabama level where, you know, the third string guys are first round draft picks. So I, I think TCU is going to be able to hang. I, I'm not, I'm not worried about Stetson Bennett against this team. It's can that TCU offense scheme to negate Jalen Carter, Nolan Smith, all those you know, future NFL players. Yeah. And then. Conversely, on the other end, I mean, you talk about TCU's defense, and I, I don't know what kind of linebackers or safeties they have, but their their matches up their matchups with the two tight ends that Georgia rolls out there with uh, Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington, who are both going to be studs in the at the NFL level as tight ends. Probably Bowers more so than Washington, although Washington's pretty good in his own right. So they have two future NFL studs tight end, and they really base their offense around it as well. And they they can run the ball, and they can they can throw deep as well if you give them the opportunity. We saw Stetson Bennett hit a deep pass in that Ohio State game that was crucial to the comeback. So uh, we know that they're capable of scoring quickly, but they're really looking to force the ball to those two tight ends, and so. It'll be interesting to see what TCU comes up with defensively. If they can do absolutely anything to slow those two guys down, that's that's how they'll have a chance to be in the game. I believe Darnell Washington is basically Zion Williamson in football pads. Um, that's a really great comparison, to be quite honest. He is so, a massive human being. Yeah, absolute athletic freak, although Brock Bowers is as well, but um, a little bit more of a, a route runner there but the athleticism of both of those tight ends is going to be absolutely on display and that that's fun because I, I like the tight end position again being an Iowa fan of course I love the tight end position so seeing it on such display in the national championship will be a, a fun thing for me to watch are you are you willing to put your head out there and make a pick some score put some scores with it yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and and take Georgia to repeat as national champions, but I'm gonna say that it's a score of thirty four to thirty one. I don't think it's the most high flying game that we saw in the semifinals. I think there's a few less points here. I think we see a close game and maybe a late touchdown by Georgia that wins it. And we're going to get a little bit of a dramatic type of a scenario where Stetson Bennett makes the game winning play to bring home back to back championships. So um, interesting thought here, but when's the last time a college quarterback won back to back championships, but didn't win the Heisman. Has that happened before? Um, so I was just looking this up. Who won Alabama that won back to back? Did they have different quarterbacks? Did they did they go from Jalen Hurts to Tua in their two championships, or did I dream that? You might be right. Yeah, I believe they went from Jalen Hurts to Tua. Because I they, can't remember the last time. Yeah. No, just kidding. They they did not win back to back. They were in three. Well. It was that when we went Alabama beat Clemson, Clemson beat Alabama, Alabama beat Georgia, and then Clemson, Alabama. So Alabama was in four straight with some – they had like Jake Coker and these other random quarterbacks in there. Yeah. Um, hmm. 
and Mac Jones. Nice. Jalen Hurts to uh, Mac Jones. Um, yeah, I'm I'm trying to think of the last time that we had a team win back-to-back championships with a quarterback who did not win the Heisman. I I don't know as if that's ever happened before. Uh, I'm sure it has. I just can't think of it off the top of my the head. 1897 Cornell team or something? Maybe. Maybe, but that's a little bit unheard of in this era, right? Because if a quarterback's good enough to lead his team to the national championship, he's usually uh, probably going to win a Heisman in one of those two years, you would think. But no. Stetson Bennett was, was in it this year, but didn't come gonna, close to winning it, really. I was going to say 03-04 USC, but that was Carson Palmer to Matt Leinart, correct? Yeah. Um, yep, that was Carson Palmer to Matt Leinart. 94-95 so, Nebraska, maybe? Well, Eric Crouch won the Heisman. No, he was he was later. He was like their 99 team. I believe Tommy Frazier might have won the Heisman. I don't know. I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but that might... That might be it. That might be it. 94, 95, Nebraska. Or if it was Leiner in 03 and 04, then it was Matt Leiner. Yeah. Uh, it might be Tommy Frazier. I'm not seeing him as a Heisman winner. I did not mean to pump up Nebraska on the show. That was the last, that was the last <laughs> thing I was trying to accomplish on the show. So. That just backfired in my face. So, uh, anyways, we'll move on to your prediction now. If you got one for all of us, I this is a. I'm going to go with a little bit more points. I'm going to go forty-six to forty. Georgia winning, but I will be actively cheering for TCU. Okay, I th- I think I'm with you in actively cheering for TCU. And you heard it here first, folks. Go bet everything you have on the over. Your entire house, yes. just throw it on the over on total points. Uh, so to put a bow on this, the two years that Tommy Frazier was in the Nebraska champion, Rashawn Salam was one of the Heisman winners, and Eddie George won the other one. That's back when we gave the Heisman to not just quarterbacks. Okay, gotcha. Gotcha. Interesting tidbit there. Thank you for being the statistician and and researcher. So I'll hit up ESPN and let them know that you need a job. Give me that Dan Patrick stat of the day music. Oh, there you go. Stat of the day. Nice. So uh, anything else on the college football side of things before we flip over to the hardwood? Going to be a lot of transfer news post national championship and even um now it's starting up a little bit now that a lot of teams are done with their season so expect another flurry of transfers and also jim harbaugh drama so we've got another off season of harbaugh threatening to go to the nfl future carolina head coach jim harbaugh possibly or denver denver Hmm. or carolina i think he's too smart to take the denver job right now I think you might be on to something there. I feel like the Carolina job might be a better job based off the fact that you can start with probably a rookie quarterback that you can mold 
Yeah. Well, we will keep an eye on the transfer portal. I have a couple updates here throughout our January and February shows. For now, we're going to talk about the NCAA college basketball season that I've paid minimal attention to, but that's why Andrew's here. Purdue was the number one team, may still be the number one team, but dropped their first game of the season at home against Rutgers, which is not a great omen. Uh, Zach Eddy is still there, correct? Is he 47 years old yet? Uh, no, he's only 45. So, oh, jeepers. Um, there's, there's, there's always yeah. a few of those guys in college looking at you, Drew Timmy. Just feel like they've been around for eons. Yeah. <laughs> Zach, Zach Eddy's on that Jordan Bohannon plan <laughs> of, of college of just permanently being in college. So, uh, that's Zach Eddy. But hey, Zach Eddy is, uh, has really kind of refined and stepped up his game. So, as much as we joke about his age, I think he's added another little bit of an element to his game. Um, he's better from the free throw line and uh, shooting some mid-range jumpers, although it doesn't look the smoothest. But I really like what Purdue's got. I know they took a tough loss against um, against Rutgers at home. Uh, although Rutgers knocked them off when they were number one last year. Granted, that was on the road, but they knocked them off two years in, in similar fashion. So maybe Rutgers just has their number. And also Rutgers is a, is a decent basketball school now, which I think people just have to get used to the fact that Rutgers is somewhat decent at basketball now. So, um, yeah, it's very interesting. So you talked about Purdue. Uh, a couple other teams that I like, or I don't know who else you wanted to talk about here, but yeah. – uh, Houston and UConn. Um, UConn just lost at Xavier. So that's kind of been the story uh, recently here is the previously undefeated teams that were highly ranked have taken some losses. Uh, UConn lost at Xavier, uh, a top 25 Xavier team who is by all means an NCAA tournament team and is a real threat to win the Big East. I, I really think it's a Xavier Yukon race in the Big East. So we'll see what the return game looks like when they when Xavier returns to Yukon later this season. But um that that's gonna be a fun race to watch. And then I really do think Purdue has kind of revealed themselves to be far and away the best team in the Big Ten. I think Purdue is the best team in the Big Ten. They're going to take some losses just because that's the nature of college basketball and conference play. But it wouldn't surprise me if they were if they ended up fifteen and five and winning the conference pretty easily. So I, I'm really thinking that Purdue is going to win the conference. I know I said before the season that I was big on Iowa. Um, that has not materialized well, but. Uh, yeah, I really, I really feel like Purdue is that team that can win the conference. Well, we'll kind of keep going that direction looking at our conferences here. You have the uh, American Conference, kind of the biggest, the first of the big conferences. Houston feels like they're running away with this thing. Houston's this team that for a couple of years now we've been hearing, this is their year, this is their year. They, I don't know if they were ever really a Cinderella, but they've kind of gone from mid-major to a team that's consistently in the top five and flirting with final fours. I think they're going to run with the American and doesn't look to be all that impressive of a conference right now. Memphis and UCF may be in contention for berths, but the rest of the conference, at least from what I'm looking at, the American is just kind of, uh, Wichita hasn't bounced back since he looks mediocre. That's 
not really a lot exciting me about the American outside of Houston at the moment. Yeah, and I think, you know, the the real contender on a national stage in this conference is Houston by far and away. Um, Memphis, I think they'll make the NCAA tournament and UCF will kind of be on that bubble as well. So the American is probably looking at three bids, I would say, with Houston for sure a lock, no matter, almost no matter what happens. I mean, they'd have to really collapse on themselves to not be a lock for the NCAA tournament. I think when all is said and done, they'll end up being a one seed. So, um, really, I really think they're one of the contenders. I know everybody talks, this is their year and it doesn't materialize. They're kind of like Gonzaga in that way, but, uh, they have a guy named Jairus Walker who's a lottery pick and they're, that's the, they've had talent that they haven't had in the past few years and it, it kind of reminds me of that Jalen Suggs year for Gonzaga where Houston has talent they aren't used to having although Calvin Sampson's gotten talented players and made the most out of the players that he's gotten but they have another caliber level of talent on this year's team that I think makes them one of the favorites as well I will take your word for it and then I can say I knew better come March Hey, there, if you believe in the saying that defense wins championships, then Houston is the team that you're backing because they will either prove or disprove that theory this year because their defense is almost second to none. So that's, that's really where they hang their hat. They are by far the toughest team. And it's, it's been that way for a couple of years under Calvin Sampson. That's pretty much their identity is they really guard you. They're really physical, they're really tough, and they're winning all the 50-50 balls because that's just their identity and what they do. The offense doesn't look so pretty most of the time, but the defense is just in your face. So um, it's very Texas Tech, the year that Texas Tech uh, was in the in the championship game. So it's very, very much reminiscent of that. We'll go down to the ACC, the Basketball Darling Conference. At least from what I'm seeing right now in rankings and standings, Virginia seems to be back. John Shire's keeping things going at Duke. And then Miami. Miami feels like they like to do this every couple of years of suddenly be really good and get like a three seed and then lose in the first round of the tournament. Miami could go from 13 wins at this point in the year to 13 wins an entire season under Jim Laranega. This conference, they're going to beat up on each other. You know, teams like Pitt, Clemson, Syracuse, Wake. I don't know that we've seen these the true teams. North Carolina is the curious one. Everybody was high on Carolina, and you know the the net and the RPI and all those numbers look pretty good. So maybe they front loaded their schedule and they'll the cream will rise to the top as we go through conference play. But that's the big thing you see right now is North Carolina pretty far down in the rankings. And then I'm told Louisville's the worst team in college basketball right now in terms of power schools. So there is your ACC. It looks, for my money, Miami, Virginia, Duke, three-horse race right now. Yeah, and I really think it's more Virginia, Duke in my mind. Um, Virginia is a very veteran team. They dropped back uh, just about everybody from last year, and they added in quality transfer to give themselves some depth as well. And they're playing classic Tony Bennett basketball, keeping games in the 50s and the 60s, and playing that pack line defense and really keeping low scoring games. So Virginia and Duke is who's who I think it's going to come down to. And 
we're probably going to see a better Duke team in March than we do right now in January or even early February. I think Duke's going to really be ferocious in March. And I think it could be one of those things where Virginia wins the ACC regular season title and Duke kind of storms through the conference tournament. And it feels like we've seen that quite a bit where Duke hasn't won the regular season title, but they've stormed through the conference tournament and then gotten really hot in March madness as well and made a deep run like they did last year. So they weren't able to finish it off last year. Kansas took it home, but um, yeah, I think that's kind of how we'll see the ACC materialize. And then North Carolina was a team that got hot at the right time as well. But you remember they were an eight, nine seed and they, they brought back, a lot of guys from last year's team, but they lost some depth pieces as well. And so they're not very deep. And so any, any sort of an injury or anything like that is going to really be tough for North Carolina. So they're having any one of their five guys get into a slump. That's kind of what we've seen from North Carolina is all five guys haven't been firing on all cylinders at the same time, like, like they did when they made their run in March Madness last year or so. I kind of thought of North Carolina as a little bit of an overrated team coming into the season. Still think they're an NCAA tournament caliber team. Definitely not saying they're going to miss the tournament by any means because they probably are the third best team in the ACC. And then I'll put Miami right behind that. So that's kind of how I see the top four shaking out. And then Pitt is making a resurgence. And I'll be curious to see if Pitt can keep it up and get back to making the NCAA tournament. It's, been quite a while since they made it so i think that's kind of my sleeper team that i'm, I'm riding with in the acc anybody in the a10 we need to worry about one of these schools always likes to randomly pop up a dayton or a vcu or a st louis st bonaventure yeah. some random team comes out of this conference yeah i really think dayton could be the team that we will see come out of this conference and there'll be a dangerous double digit seed that comes out of this conference that could win uh a game or two and upset your bracket. So that's the team to keep an eye on in the A-10 is, is the Dayton Flyers. Moving on to the Big East, you touched on a little bit with UConn that I'm I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid yet. Everybody seems to be in on UConn. Yeah, Xavier there, Providence, Marquette, the top four right now. Creighton's always dangerous. I think we've talked before, Villanova's going through a rebuild without Jay Wright. This conference that always seems to get a bunch of bids, but I don't, I don't know that this is more than a four bid league this year. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. Um, the one thing I'll say about UConn that gives me a little bit of pause is their point guard play. Uh, but other than that, they're well rounded. They have two pretty legit big men, uh, Sonogo and then Klingon comes off the bench. And so they can roll out the seven footer that's very skilled at all times, and that's a, a big asset. And then Jordan Hawkins is good on the wing as a scorer. They have Andre Jackson kind of running the point for him, but he's kind of been up and down, and that's kind of what will decide UConn's season is ultimately is their point guard play, and ultimately their fate in March because guards are kind of what wins you games in March. I do think they'll be good enough to pull off the Big East regular season title, um, and as we're talking about it, give give me who you think the four teams are because I think it's UConn and Xavier for sure. Creighton's kind of been a little bit of an up and down, but I, I do see them kind of weathering the storm and maybe making it 
I could see Villanova turning turning it on and possibly making it as well. But uh, go ahead and who you give give me who you think oh, can I'm make just, it from the Big East. I'm just going to go easy and slice off the top. UConn, Xavier, Providence, Marquette. I think Crane's just going to be one of those kind of first four out type teams. Yeah. Yeah, um, I can see uh, Marquette being an NCAA tournament team as well. I think I think they'll surprise some folks actually because I've actually liked the guard play that they have. So that's that's a Power Five conference team that will you'll kind of look at it and it won't be very appealing to pick them come March Madness in your bracket, but they're gonna they're gonna sneakily win a game. And it's going to upset someone that you have going far in your bracket. Uh, that's that's kind of a sleeper team that I would I would keep an eye on is uh, the Marquette Golden Eagles. So especially with a coach like Shaka Smart, we know what he can do with the double digit seed come March. So see, moving on to the big one, your beloved Big Ten. Another conference like the ACC. I really don't know what we know about this team at the beginning of January and the next. Six weeks, these teams are going to beat up on each other. We'll see who's still standing at the end. This one may, you know, it, teams, if like the A-10 or the Big East are down, I think the Big Ten's going to snag a few more of those bids. Your your teams that are down a little bit this year look like a Maryland or an Illinois or, dare I say, Nebraska? Dare I dream? So we, we touched on a little bit the greatness of Purdue and that you're a believer in Rutgers. Any, any prognostications we can make about the Big Ten? Yeah, I really think this this is the league that's gonna of the power conferences that's probably gonna end up getting the most bids. Um, Purdue is the is the team that I see as the most serious that could win win it all. Um, but Purdue, Indiana, Ohio State, Wisconsin, uh, Rutgers, Penn State, I think will make it in. Um, you could see a team like a Maryland making it in Michigan as well. I'm not going to go out there and say Nebraska. I think Illinois could absolutely rebound and make the the big dance. So you could see a nine or 10 bid league here from the big 10. Obviously that a couple of them will beat up on each other so much that they'll be playing in a playing game like Rutgers was, I believe. And also, uh, Michigan was, I believe, last year. But, um, yeah, I could see a, a play-in scenario for a couple of these Big Ten teams, but I'll go ahead and uh, take those teams for sure. And I think Penn State is kind of the sleeper team here in this in this conference that I've got my eye on. Going down to the Big 12, the Big 12 took the SEC football approach to their non-conference, so all these teams have amazing records and only about one conference game apiece. I don't know who's good. I don't know who's bad. I don't really buy into these records. Kansas, the highest-ranked team. Texas has their own issues to try to figure out. K-State and TCU, are they the real deal? I think maybe Oklahoma State's the only team from this conference I'd really rule out of being a postseason team right now. The Big 12 is just kind of feels like a big wide-open schmoz right now. Um, I think that's a great way of putting it is we'll just kind of have to see who separates themselves as the season goes on. This will be probably the most entertaining conference race because a lot of these teams are evenly matched. Uh, like you said, Oklahoma State, probably the only team that you think you can rule out here. Um, and, and I don't even know about that, but um, I I really like TCU the best. 
Uh, they really gave a good Arizona team a run for their money last year in the NCAA tournament and brought a lot of guys back. They're 12-1, and one and they are just now getting healthy and having everyone play together uh, where they were missing some starters early on in the year and weren't healthy, and they were able to kind of weather that storm, and they're still 12-1. and one. I really think that TCU is going to give probably Kansas and Texas. I think those are kind of the three that you're going to see separate themselves from the rest of the pack. But I could see this being uh, an eight-bid. I think this could be an eight-bid league. Eight out of these ten teams could make it in. So it's, in my mind, Kansas, TCU, Texas, Iowa State, Baylor, Texas Tech, and your pick of Oklahoma or West Virginia. Basically anybody but Oklahoma State. So, But it's really going to come down to Oklahoma or West Virginia, I think, for that eighth and final spot that this conference is going to get. Give me Huggy Bear every time. Yeah, and I would like that um, because Joe Toussaint is their former Iowa Hawkeye. So nice. I'll be cheering for Joe Toussaint. So. Um, yeah. Shout out to the Colonial Conference, top 25 ranked College of Charleston, 14 and 1. Hey, that will be the highlight of their season. <laughs> Although they'll probably, uh, you know, if they win their conference tournament, we'll see them and they'll be one of those trendy upset picks, I think, that everybody makes. Uh, a couple other small conference teams here that are doing really well. New Mexico, kind of like Miami, they like to do this once every couple of years poke their head out and get really good 14 and 0 ranked in the top 25 right now. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I will be honest. I don't know a whole lot about New Mexico, but good for them. And the, the PAC 12, which not a glorious start to the season for the PAC 12 getting put through the ringer. Arizona's a top five team and UCLA has looked great. Utah, pleasant surprise. And then USC. So those four, Really standing out for the conference, Arizona State's kind of floating around that, I would say, a bubble team right now, the last four in first four out category. And then, man, it falls off from there. Both Oregon schools really struggling. Colorado, the two Washington schools, and then Cal and Stanford way down there. But, man, not a good time to be a Pac-12 basketball fan. Yeah. Um you know, I haven't, I've watched Arizona a couple times. I've seen a little bit of UCLA. Uh, I really think Arizona is kind of the team to beat here and will kind of carry the banner for Pac 12 come March Madness. So, um, really those are the two teams. If you're a Pac 12 fan that you're, you're really banking on. And I, I don't know who beyond that is going to make the big dance. You got to think that the Pac 12 is going to get at least three teams in, right? But, those two are the only ones that I th- I think are locks. Everybody else is going to be on the bubble in, in my mind when I look at the Pac-12. Oregon will get in as a play-in game 12 seed and make the Elite Eight as is their want. Yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, absolutely something like that could happen. So, could 100% happen. And going down to the SEC, which. I don't know about deepest, but maybe at the top is somehow the best conference in basketball. Tennessee, Alabama, Auburn, LSU, Kentucky, Georgia, Arkansas, even Mississippi State. It's really top 40 RPI teams, and 
well, depending on who you ask, maybe the best teams in the country, you know, certain fans of Arkansas or Tennessee. But what do we – is the SEC the real deal, at least with the top tier? I think the real team out of this conference is Alabama, uh, based off of what I've watched and a couple of other teams that I've talked about. Alabama went to Houston in a very – charged environment and beat Houston by six on the road. They also lost to Gonzaga. So they're a kind of a team that's hard to figure out because they've had some great wins and then some tough losses to good teams, um, no doubt. But um, they've had some great wins. They've also, I believe, they played UConn and kind of got run off the court by UConn. So they've been in some good games with some good teams. But what really impressed me was them going to Houston and winning the Slugfest at Houston, a team that I really, really like. So um, I think Alabama is the best team in the SEC. And then Tennessee is not too far behind that. And then if I had to pick from there, I'm going to ride with Arkansas. They're definitely the most talented team, but it's a bit like Duke where they're kind of blending a lot of new pieces together between transfers and freshmen they're they're trying to put all the pieces together and so they're really going to be better come march than what they are now so i think those are the three best teams in the conference missouri's been a nice story but if you look at their schedule it's a little bit like kansas state in the big 12 where they've scheduled some real cupcakes that kind of inflates their their schedule and their record a little bit so I think Missouri, it's nice that they're ranked in the top 25 and, and everything, but I don't really expect Missouri basketball to stay there. I think they're going to be on that bubble come March Madness time because of that non-conference schedule that they've had that's been a little bit light. That um, We talked about how tough Alabama's non-conference was. Missouri's is kind of the opposite end of that spectrum. So I, I really expect this uh, – SEC conference to kind of it looks good now, but it I think they'll kind of beat up each, on each other, kind of like the Big Ten does, and it'll shake itself out. Somebody needs to tell Arkansas they can play offense, like that it's legally allowed for them to score. Yeah, yeah I've actually uh, been surprised by the lack of offense there, given all the talent that uh, Arkansas has on their roster. So that's uh, that's going to be the big key for them. I'm looking at some of the other Conferences here, scrolling down to the bottom, the big one is Gonzaga. Actually, some competition this year. I think as we get through, they'll be the last one standing. 12-3, and they've had some rough non-conference games. But St. Mary's, BYU, Santa Clara, there's some other teams in here having good runs. San Francisco's been dangerous the last couple of years. So I wouldn't be shocked to see the West Coast get more than just Gonzaga in the tournament if there's a bid to be stolen. A St. Mary's or a BYU, I think, could slide in there. Yeah, I think actually St. Mary's is more of a solid lock. Than, um, than you would believe. So I think I think uh, Gonzaga and St. Mary's are actually blocks and the, the team that might be on the bubble floating around there is BYU. So, um, yeah, I really like that St. Mary's team. They brought back a lot of guys from last year's team as well. So that's another team that will be annoying and, and pesky come March Madness. It'll probably be a double-digit seed that you really won't want to see your favorite power conference team line up against. 
Anything else on the college side before we flip to the pro game? Um, the only other thing that has kind of come up that's kind of newsworthy and noteworthy is there was a lot of talk today on Twitter about um, hot potential expansion of the NCAA tournament. And I didn't get any sort of a good read on the formatting, but there was talk of expansion to 90 teams, which I'm in favor of under a couple of conditions that we're going to get more of the mid-major flavor in the in the big dance rather than more power conference teams who are 500 um, in the big dance. Because if we're going to get more power conference teams, then there's not really a reason to expand in my mind. Um, so I'm open to it, but I, I need to hear what the actual proposal is of what it's going to look like and will there be double buys and single buys and all that kind of stuff. So I'm open to the expansion conversation, but I think there needs to be some uh, conditions laid down. I haven't looked into it much beyond the headline. I'm, I'm tentatively open to it. I don't love the idea, but I'm not completely closed off to it. It just, isn't it kind of weird that we haven't expanded March madness for as much as every other pro sport is ballooning its playoff. And now the college football playoffs getting bigger isn't it kind of weird that March Madness has been, for the most part, pretty standard? I know we went from 64 to 68 not that long ago. But the big dance has remained relatively stable for a long time. I think it's perfect where it is. But it's just, it's just weird that they haven't ballooned like everybody else. Yeah, I do think it's perfect where it is. One of my friends uh, that I was talking to today um, has said that he wants to have uh, all power conference teams in the play-in games. Uh, because there's a couple playing games where it's 16 seeds versus 16 seeds. Those teams kind of earn their way in by winning their conference tournaments and should automatically be in, uh, to the big dance in my mind. Make, make all the bubble right. power conference teams battle it out in Dayton. And also, uh, more people will probably watch that if it's all power conference teams battling it out in Dayton. That'll probably be a lot more intriguing for the Dayton games. Rather than watching, you know, Texas Southern face off against Georgia State, <laughs> um, no offense to those teams, but I think it's a fair uh, point. Though. I would, yeah, I would rather see the power conference teams in Dayton um, like that. But also, you know, there there has to be a reward, a reward if we expand for being the top team. But I also, you know, we have bid stealers every year that make it in in conference tournaments, so I want to see. Um, some of the good teams that we talked about, like uh, College of Charleston, for example, if they don't win their conference tournament, they're not getting in because they're in a one-bid league. If we expand to 90, does that now open the door for a team like College of Charleston? I, I think I'm in favor of that kind of a thing so that we get to see some of those smaller schools on display in March. Yeah, if you're going to expand, give me don't give me 17 and 17 Virginia Tech. Uh, I was gonna say I was gonna say Syracuse because that's what they do every year is they give <laughs> seventeen and sixteen Syracuse the an eleven seed and then watch them go to the final four, uh, not the final four maybe but the elite eight. Uh, inexplicably, everybody gets mad they get in and they make a deep run, right. um, but I I don't need to see that. I'd rather give me some mid major teams that did really well in the regular season and missed because they didn't win their conference tournament. Let's talk about happy things to end the show. 
And that's going to okay. be Andrew's NBA power rankings, his top five teams in the NBA over the last two weeks. Uh, I went to my first NBA game of the season and in quite a while watched the, I was back in the Portland neck of the woods this week and watched the trailblazers beat the brakes off of the Pistons. See what I did there? Car analogy. I, I was so excited for this Detroit team. I, I'm a big Jaden Ivey fan and I like Sadiq Bay and then Kate Cunningham got hurt. So now they're probably did their, I don't think either one of these teams are championship bound this year, but Portland, especially Jeremy Grant looked good. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy Grant has been a, a huge surprise for Portland. And by the way, neither one of these teams are, are making it in my top five. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The Blazers, Maybe if they turn some things around, they have a chance. Um, but let's go to the teams that just missed. And that's going to be the Pelicans, uh, the Mavericks, and the Memphis Grizzlies. Are uh, all teams the Grizz. that just missed my top five. I'll tell you why in a minute because I'm going to give love to an, another team, and I think you'll you'll maybe like me here in a second. Um, but got a shout out to Luka Doncic and the amazing run he's been on lately. Um, but the team around him is is not decidedly not good. We've talked about this before. Um, the Pelicans they've been they've been hot lately, although they just lost Zion Williamson Shocking. for a couple of weeks. Yep. Yep, very shocking. But they're a good team, and they'll carry on anyways. Um, the Grizzlies, I'm leaving them out. We like to talk about happy things on the show. I'm not going to get into the John Morant news. You can look it up online if you're curious. Uh, just go ahead and Google John Morant, but there's a, a little bit of concern there. So I mean, that's why I'm going to leave them out now. Uh, the Beam team. Still hanging tough at the fifth seed, actually watching them play as we do this podcast. Uh, but my number five team, and I have to give a, a lot of love to specifically one guy, and that's Donovan Mitchell. Yeah. 70, 71 points last night. Uh, great story. One of the highest scoring NBA games that we've seen since uh, Kobe's 81. Absolutely awesome to watch. I watched the final few minutes of it and he just completely took over at the end of regulation. He did this awesome miss the free throw, get the rebound and then put it in the basket and then just completely took over in overtime against the Bulls and, and shredded them for 71 points. So with the role that Cleveland's been on lately, I'm going to go go ahead and uh, put them in at my number five spot and we've got a, a little bit of a change up in my top five here too with who i'm gonna put here next at number four and that's the milwaukee bucks hmm. i love i love the milwaukee bucks but they lost four games in a row with Giannis in the lineup they've had middleton be out again um Drew Holiday's been out. They've had games where all three have been out, and that hasn't looked good. But they've also looked bad with Giannis in the lineup, which is a little bit alarming to see. And I would, uh, I expect them to turn it up and turn it around more. So the next time I come on the show, they probably won't be this low. But I, I got to downgrade them temporarily until they show me a little bit more urgency out there. 
on the court. Giannis is playing at a, at a very high level and trying to do what he can, but some of the role players around him are going to have to step up and they're just going to have to get healthy if they're going to get back into that top two where I've had them nearly all season. And then at number three, I'm going to have to put the number one team in the West, and that's the Denver Nuggets. Nikola Jokic has been on an absolute tear, and unless we're just tired of him winning MVPs, he's legitimately yet again in the MVP conversation, although I think the Luka Doncic narrative is really heated up. But Denver is, is really hot as well. 24 and 13 and Jamal Murray is starting to look like himself again. And this team is getting rolling. So they're number three for me. And at number two is a team that's won 12 straight games and they've looked nearly unbeatable when Kyrie Irving is back in the lineup and Kevin Durant's playing at a very high level. I'm putting the Brooklyn Nets in my two spot here on my NBA power rankings. And then that means my number one spot is going to go to the Boston Celtics. Old steady, old reliable is basically what the Boston Celtics are at this point. Tatum and Brown are an amazing 1A, 1B combo, and it really stepped up, and the Celtics just keep on winning games. They're 26 and 12. Uh, did take a loss to the Thunder tonight, but that's okay. Those kinds of things happen in the long NBA season. And they've been a very impressive team uh, over the past couple of months and continue to be, I think, kind of the best team in the NBA. So uh, very impressive with all of everything that's gone on in that organization that they are doing what they're doing. So that's my top five. Yeah. What, that's what I wanted to ask you about. I I was not up to date on this. And then you look at the standings and the Nets have won 10 in a uh, what 12 in a row. It's like, what, where did this Nets team come from? Yeah. Um, they have absolutely just been playing out of their minds. They've been uh, the best offense in the league since Kyrie came back and top 10 in defense as well. So uh, I don't know what, has caused that turnaround there, but they have figured things out. They're getting contributions out of Ben Simmons. They're uh, getting excellent stuff out of Nick Claxton. So uh, good, good stuff coming from, uh, coming from the uh, Brooklyn Nets right now. And uh, it's very impressive to see. So Kyrie and, and Kevin Durant are really carrying things, but, I don't know if they can keep this up at this level, although I, I can almost assure you that they won't. But, um, yeah, I got to give them a lot of love right now while they're on this impressive run. And dare I say, the East, at least the top, I think those top four, and you could throw Philly in there, top five. I'm more convinced that that's a better top five and better title contenders than the West. We've seen Denver get close and fall before. Until a Phoenix, a Golden State, or the Clippers really catch fire, I don't know that I trust anybody in the West the way I do. Like, oh yeah, the Bucks, the the Bucks, the Celtics—they've been there. The Cleveland, I, I love what Donovan Mitchell is doing, becoming the guy, really taking over and shining, and shockingly getting drug tested the day after he scores seventy-one. And then Brooklyn with guys like Kyrie and Katie who have been there. The those top four, if not five, with Philadelphia in the East, feel much more secure as championship contenders. 
yeah, I, I think you're spot on. Um, specifically those top four, um, I'm not really willing to trust James Harden in a playoff setting. Mark. So I won't, um, I won't hitch my wagon to Philly, but those top four, I, I really like what they all have going on. I do think, you know, the Bucks are going to have to probably make a trade and pending some sort of a trade, they could find themselves in a much better position. I, I think they're going to approach it with some urgency, but we've kind of seen this out of them where they don't really quite care what seed they get. It's a little bit like the LeBron Cavalier teams. They just kind of believe that Giannis is going to be good enough to carry them no matter kind of what seed they get. I don't know if they'll be able to get by with that, but that is kind of the philosophy that the Bucks are operating under for better or worse. Um, and he is good. He is good, but they're, they're really going to need Middleton to be healthy. So, um, that, that's really going to be the key to the whole season. We saw it last year in the playoffs, but they're really going to need Middleton in order to be a, a serious contender. Also, is Rick Carlisle just the greatest basketball coach of all time? The Pacers are like legitimately in this thing. I don't think they're going to win, but who saw the Pacers being a playoff team and not even in the play-in? If, if that Lancer Miami doesn't get right, Andy's going to be comfortably in there at that sixth spot, and nobody saw this from this team. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not going to go ahead and, and call Rick Carlisle the greatest coach of all time when uh, – you know, Phil Jackson and Greg Popovich. Exist. Nah, what did they ever do? Yeah, okay. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Um, Greg Carlo is a great coach, and he's getting the most out of this team. Halliburton's played well. Um, Benedict Matherin has been quite the surprise. They're kind of that fun, young, upstart team that is going to be in the playoffs, and people are going to think they're, you know, they're very um, they have upset potential uh, but I don't I don't really see it in a playoff setting I mean if you're gonna rely on big things from buddy healed in the playoff setting you're gonna be sorely disappointed so I I don't quite see it with Indiana yet they don't have quite all the pieces that they need to make a run in the playoffs but they are definitely a fun team uh, but you know, as it sits right now, they would face Milwaukee in a first round matchup. I hate that matchup for the, for the Pacers. I think Milwaukee would absolutely destroy them in that matchup. And I would be willing to bet that the Nets too, you know, or, or the Cavs, that's kind of the fight for Indiana is they're kind of going to get in comfortably, I think, but, um, face one of those top four teams and that's, going to be the end of it so nice nice story nice run that they're on but i don't think they're any sort of a serious threat at this current point in time one final note before we get out of here tonight who is your league mvp right now i asked because i was on the DraftKings the other day and they had jason tatum as the betting favorite and i'm i'm a big jason tatum fan i like what he brings to the table i by all means all-star first team all nba but I was like, how is Luca not surefire number one? And then if you want to maybe throw in the Joker as number two, I just thought it was very impressive that Jason Tatum was the betting favorite for MVP. Yeah, I think it's just a little bit of um, 
best player and a best team with him being the current betting favorite. Um, I would, at this point in time, I mean, if we ended the season today, I don't really see how you couldn't pick Luka Doncic, especially with that 60-point triple-double. It, it's got to be Luka um, because of the insane stats. And if you just think about where the Mavericks would be without him, they would not be anywhere near sniffing the playoffs. He's basically running their entire offense every time he's on the court. The ball goes through him. So all all due respect to Jason Tatum, who's definitely stepped his game up and taken his game to yet even another level. He deserves to be in the conversation. He's just not the MVP for me at this at this point in time. I do think it's a Donkic Jokic race and some people have even said, why not LeBron? I'm not there yet because yeah. the Lakers aren't in serious playoff contention. So I, I don't know if I can get on board with LeBron, even though LeBron's doing incredible things. I don't know if I can get on board with that at this point in time. But I think it's a, I think it's a Donkic, Donkic Jokic race currently. And we're going to see a little bit of voter fatigue with Nikola Jokic that's probably going to take home for Luka. So which I guess I'm on board with, but if Jokic puts up the stats, puts up even better stats than what he did last year, which he currently is on pace to do uh, about the same, roughly the same, probably even more, a little more efficiently than what he did last year. I think we got to be willing to give it to him, even though he's won it twice in a row. Now we got to, we got to acknowledge that he's taken his game to another level in, in some way. So, you can't downgrade him for the fact that he's just consistently great. But that, that's kind of the two-man race that I see unfolding right now. Well, I, I love the Joker. It took me a long time to come around on Luca, but I'm on the bandwagon now. So if I had to bet money, and I think I may have bet money, on um, give, give it to Luca, and it's it, we just continue to be impressed by what the Joker is able to do, looking the way he does, but still being perhaps the best basketball player on the planet. And there's also the off chance that Giannis might have something to say about all this by the end of the season, too. So any MVP talk at this point in time is is fun, definitely fun, but it's also pre- premature. Right. So anything else? I wasn't sure we'd get to an hour this week and we've gone well over, but anything else on your agenda we need to touch on? Uh, Nope. Just like the way you open the podcast, all of our – prayers and best wishes with Demar Hamlin. We wish all the best for him and his family and just uh, keep, keep on praying everybody um, so that it turns out all right. Agreed. Well, thank you all for joining us and we'll see you next week. Episode 88 of Sports Gospel. See you then.